Welcome to another episode of the PFC Podcast. The opinions you hear are ours and doesn't necessarily reflect anyone else's. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC Podcast. This is Dennis and I'm here with Doug and Paul. And today we're going to talk about a a little bit more challenging subject. Today we're going to talk about how to treat your expectant patients. Now we understand about the recovery position, about rolling them on their side so that they can maintain their own airway while we move on and treat the other patients. What do you do after you're done treating those other patients and you have to come back to this expectant patient? What do you do? I remember in my training, we're not really discussing what exactly are you supposed to be doing with them. And since nobody likes talking about losing patients, but we can't ignore it either. We're going to have to deal with this at some point. So I asked Doug to share some of his experience in the ICU and palliative care. Now, when I think about palliative care, I think about, uh, if you remember that movie, Saving Private Ryan, and the medic gets shot, and he looks around at his guys, and he thinks, holy crap, I didn't train any of them, so I'm screwed. Um, hey, why don't you give me some morphine? And so they give him an overdose of morphine, and then that's it. So we know that this is a difficult subject. Um, and we know that medics, or excuse me, our patients, some patients are going to die no matter how good we are. But is palliative care essentially giving up and quickening the death of our patients? Yes, I'm really glad for an opportunity to talk about this. Um, palliative care is is something that I have done throughout my entire medical career. I was drawn to medicine to take care of cancer patients, and it was really only in the late stages of my residency training that I, and after working in the burn unit and with patients over at Launchdale that I um, decided to switch to critical care. But, you know, there's a high instance in critical care of patients who don't survive as well. And so this has been a subject that I've been working with for my entire career. The first thing, and I think the most important thing I would explain about palliative care is that, so palliative means comfort, right? That's the, that's the root uh, um, definition of the word. And what I explained to uh, people, usually families and friends that I'm talking to about palliative care for a patient who does have a, a, a terminal condition, is that we, if we're good physicians, we provide palliative care at all stages of uh, of patient care, right? You know, a guy who comes in with a, a tib-fib fracture, right, gets both palliative care, pain control, and definitive care, surgical stabilization or casting, right? Uh, and so when we talk about palliative care, what we're, we're, we're talking about is, is something, is, is not something that only happens at the end of life. It's just that the balance between palliative care and definitive care or curative care changes depending on what the patient's goals at the moment are, right? A patient with a terminal condition, um, the goals shift from to a less curative approach um, and a more palliative, i.e. Uh, providing comfort approach. Um, but even in that stage, we're still vigilant for things that might be receptive to cure. So to answer your question, we have not given up 
taking care of your patient. In fact, I would say we're more engaged in, we're, we're the opposite of giving up. We're more engaged in assessing what their goals are, assessing what their needs are, and rebalancing, um, rebalancing the equation between palliative and curative care, uh, to be with our patient, uh, and provide the care that they need, that balance of care that they need, you know, in those really difficult final miles. So I guess kind of the situation I'm thinking of, we've triaged our patients. We have multiple, just like the scenario we started off with, we have one patient that we know that we can, we can handle that. Uh, we have an airway. We have meds to take care of his pain. We know we have that. We have this other patient that, at least in our mind, we have no magic for that guy. Um, so I've, I've kind of triaged him as expectant. Now, I've already taken care of my crike patient. Does that mean I get to kind of ignore this other guy? Um, no. Uh, again, um, really good question. Obviously, in a resource-constrained environment and a tactical environment, you know, you have to um, prior, prioritize your efforts. Um, but if in the prioritization of your efforts you have time, which is really the resource that you need the most, and safety available to take care of your expectant patient. I wouldn't even say that you need to have medicines available because there are things that you can do that don't involve medicines that provide uh, uh, comfort to your care. It's really more that you have the, the time to assess your patient and provide them. From a medication standpoint, the the two things that are, um, there, th- there are really three things that um, patients who are dying um, experience the most and whether they experience them or we see them and experience them for the patients is, is an interesting question. One is pain. Uh, a patient with a severe traumatic injury is experiencing pain on some level and this can be manifest by elevated heart rate, by elevated blood pressure, by restlessness, uh, agonal respiration. So as the body is dying, uh, the breathing pattern changes uh, and gets deeper and more labored. And, and then the third thing um, can be secretions. Uh, and so one of the characteristics of morphine as an analgesic is that it also um, suppresses respiratory drive. That's a side effect that you just asked me how to manage in case they were overdosed. But that can be used um, to benefit um, for agonal respirations and basically decrease the drive in the brainstem to have those reflexes and make the patient more comfortable as well. So you really get kind of two of those three symptoms that I said patients experience, you can really treat two of them with morphine. Um, The third thing, as far as secretions go, if you can't, if you have scopolamine, that's a great medication for that. And we know we're going to be carrying that probably for motion sickness. And if you don't, then it's just positioning and suctioning and, you know, keeping their, keeping them dry. Um, but those would be the two things. As far as getting to that decision for the medic, if I could back up for a little bit, that's that's maybe the toughest thing. You know, you talked about not wanting to lose and not wanting to give up. Um, and that is definitely a place where y- you should talk to somebody. You know, um, as physicians in the hospital, we talk to that. We talk to families about, you know, where they think their their loved one is in terms of um, you know their disease process or their injury process and goals of care. We talk to the nurses. We talk to each other as physicians. You know, do you think this is where they're at before we make you know before we rebalance their um, 
palliative versus curative care pathways. Um, when you're alone as a medic, um, you really need to figure out a way to reach out to somebody for this. And I'm reminded of a story that, um, you know, I think uh, Sean Keenan told me um, when he was deployed where he had some medics working on a guy for hours and they finally called him and or, or they were calling him and he, he gave them the permission to let their buddy go um, and treat his pain and, and treat his symptoms um, and make him comfortable. I don't think anybody should make that decision in a vacuum. I think especially somebody who's treating their buddy and their brother and their teammate should make that decision in a vacuum. Um, and who you call, you know, um, it kind of depends on your situation. Ideally, you call somebody you can trust, which is why I thought, you know, Sean is, a, I think, battalion surgeon at this point. He may have been a group surgeon. Um, um, but, you know, known to the medics working on the guy, known to the unit, trusted, was a great choice. Um, but, uh, but but don't don't make the decision in a vacuum. And when you're getting ready to call your friend like that, Make sure that you have all the information ready to go, just like any other telemedicine call. Have that cheat sheet, the script, filled out completely so that you have a coherent narrative that you're telling that person on the other end so that they can really help you make that decision. I think I've seen it in the past where people try to just wing it with these telemedicine calls and it never works out for them. And the, the physician on the other end gets frustrated, the medic gets frustrated, everybody's trying to get to the bottom line. But there's all these things, this, this interference in the way. So when you're going down the road, whether it's curative or palliative, make sure you have all the facts and you're able to describe and uh, communicate them effectively. Um, I guess one of the main reasons why I wanted to, to bring this up, uh, especially to you, Doug, other, other than I knew you would know the answer, it's in our nature, I think, to do something. The other guys on your team know that you're going to do something. And I think it was kind of one of those understood or untalked about things is, oh, he's expectant. Move on. But there are things you can do. Uh, the scenario, the patient, uh, was loosely based on one of my patients that I ended up losing overseas. Um, their family was actually watching me while I was treating, uh, it happened to be a child. Um, so I knew I had to be doing something because they had put that much faith in an, in a, in an American. Um, so I had to be doing something. Uh, being able to handle their pain, um, handle secretions, either through positioning or, or whatever mechanism you make this patient comfortable. Everybody around you understands that you are doing absolutely everything that you can and that story is a lot easier to take than I rolled them in the recovery position and then I moved the frick on um, that it's just not gonna fly uh, it's not gonna fly on your team you know that and it's not gonna fly with your partner force or the civilian population they expect us to be doing something even if in the end Things just don't work out. All these steps provide closure for everyone else involved to know that everything that could be done was done. So let's run through those quickly. First, we're going to triage our patients the same as we've always done. 
those patients that are considered expectant, once we're able to treat the other casualties and get back to them, we're going to start off with uh, pain control, not just for their injuries, providing analgesia, but also in those uh, moments as things start to shut down, we can use opioids like morphine, fentanyl to kind of make that transition a lot more comfortable as uh, systems start shutting down uh, those primal instincts, those primal reflexes are still intact. So to make the situation more comfortable, we can provide those opioids and it's going to it's going to make that patient a lot more comfortable. Next is secretions. Either basic, just positioning and suction, or you can add in pharmacology if you have it. So drugs, uh, anticholinergic drugs such as scopolamine, atropine, glycopyrrolate can help uh, dry up the oropharynx and uh, reduce the secretions and make the patient's breathing a lot more comfortable. And this is the last and I think the most important step is get that lifeline. Call your doc. You know, make sure you have your telemedicine consult sheet filled out so you know exactly what, what needs to be said. But don't put this decision completely on your shoulders. That's probably the, the biggest tip I can give everyone. Reach out to your doc. Tell them exactly what has happened, what you've done, and let that doc be that second opinion and takes the weight off your shoulders. There's no person that needs to make this decision alone, and neither do you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the PFC Podcast. Make sure to go to the website, www.prolongfieldcare.org, post your questions, post your comments, and add to the conversation. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Out.